I'm Robin Harris. I'm one of the elders, and uh, yes, we're not in Psalms, as you can see. We're in John 13, uh, 35 today. Uh, Mike couldn't make it. Uh, I think you'll be next week, right? Is that true? We'll be back in Psalms next week, and so you'll get to hear Mike. I love listening to him preach. Man, he's so good. God really uses him, and I'm thankful for that. But we're going to be looking at one verse, but some other supporting verses naturally. And this one verse, John 13, 35, is a verse that describes the external evidence that we are disciples of Jesus. And it's, uh, it's external evidence that is according to Jesus. It's just not something that we come up with by looking at a bunch of verses. This is what Jesus says. And I'm going to give four points about this verse, and we're, like I said, primarily going to be looking at John 13, 35, and then support it with some other verses. So, open your Bibles to John 13, 35, and I'll read it. If you'll stand up for the reading of the Word, I'd appreciate it. It says in John 13, 35, "...by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another." You may be seated. A very powerful verse. I, I believe it's one of the most significant verses in the Bible for believers. And as we go through this text and we look at it, I, I trust that it'll be the same for you. But before we get going too deep, let's define disciples. And I'm going to use what we are going through in the uh, four priorities by Dr. John Tolson and Larry Creter, they define it this way. A disciple is a follower, a learner, and a replicator of the teacher. And this is, this is a really good definition. It kind of just boils it down to all the elements of what a disciple is. But though this is a very good general de definition, it doesn't really give the meat of what Jesus says and one time uh, in particular, what Jesus said, and Jesus said something that really gets to, to the heart of a disciple. I want to kind of set the stage and kind of show you how this all comes together. So listen to this description. Jesus is walking along, and there's a huge crowd following him. And that happened a lot, right? Well, he has this huge crowd following him, and I'm sure all of these followers had different types of reasons to be following Jesus. I'm sure some of them wanted to find, see another great miracle, and others probably wanted to hear some amazing uh, message. And then you had the ones that were solid, and they were actually following him because they knew he was the Messiah. But look at in Luke chapter 14, verses 27 through 25 through 27. Look at what Jesus says and also what he does. He's got this crowd behind him, and he does something very significant right at the get-go with this verse. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 27, it says, Now, now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, now picture this, he's going, he's going along and, and he has a great crowd behind him. 
He, he, he just doesn't look over to his left uh, or to his right. He turns completely around and he faces all of these people that were following him and says some things that probably dropped their jaws. And they're very significant, though, about discipleship. Listen to what he says. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And after this, Jesus, and and we're not going to go into it, but after this, Jesus gives two examples of counting the cost of being a disciple. So, So he's making some pretty significant demands, and he ends it with verse 33. He says, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciples. So I think uh, Jesus said it pretty clearly. I know it's very demanding, but that's what he demands. And he, he, he sums it up basically in this. Jesus wants your all. He, he doesn't want just one piece of you. He wants all of you. He wants you not just on Sunday and not just on Wednesday night. He wants you every day of the week and in all circumstances of life and even at your work. He wants you all the time. So it, it, he has a very demanding thing about being a, a disciple. And I also want to cover something that is sometimes totally misunderstood about being a disciple, and it's when do you become a disciple? Well, I want to tell you tonight, it's not after you've been a Christian for several years. It is at the very moment that you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He is your Lord, and he, at at that very moment, and you are following him. Yes, you may not know very much about what that means, But at that very moment, you're a disciple of Jesus. In Matthew chapter uh, 28, 19, it doesn't say go make believers. It's already understood that there are believers, but you're baptizing who? Disciples. So I don't know if you knew that or not, uh, but that's when you become a disciple. It's not when somebody comes up and says, do you want to be a disciple? That's the, that's the wrong question. You're a disciple right when you become uh, saved. So a disciple is a follower, a learner, and a replicator. And we all who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior are on this path of becoming more like Jesus. So there's, there we are. We're, we, we, we got the context of who a disciple is. We got the intensity of what Jesus says about a disciple. We know when we become a disciple. But let's look at another point. According to Jesus, there needs to be external evidence 
that we are his disciples. Look at John 13, 35 one more time. It says, by this. Just that, that one little phrase lets us know that there needs to be evidence. That's what that phrase means. By this, that means there has to be evidence that we're his disciples. You know, there's many, many things that we have in life that needs evidence, and they're all tangible things that we can see and that we can come to a sufficient conclusion about the matter. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Here's one really short. Nobody laugh, all right? What's the evidence that I'm old? That was laughing. I, didn't, I told you not to do that. <laughs> Gray hair. That's an evidence that I am old. I mean, if I walk into a, a, to a cafe or whatever and I go up to the counter, I get the senior discount immediately. There's evidence. They look at me. And they know that I'm an old dude and I should get something for free, right? Yeah, that doesn't happen. But let's say this. What if I came up to you and said, I, I, I can run the 100 meters in 9.7 seconds? You would first what? Laugh. Then after that, you may say, give me the evidence. And surely I could not do that, right? The evidence for being a disciple is very similar to another thing that's in the Bible, and it is faith, and that's in the book of James. And so James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, it says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. There has to be evidence that we have faith. There's, there's, if there's no evidence that we have a saving faith, then what good is it? James says it's, it's dead. It's empty. So in the same uh, uh, pattern, there needs to be evidence that we are disciples. And it needs to be important evidence. And it needs to be evidence according to Jesus. Let's look back at John 13, 35 again. It says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, we're getting into the evidence now, and we see something. But before we get there, I want you to see the, a little bit of the context. Jesus is talking to his disciples at the Last Supper. So this is a very significant time for Jesus. He wants to convey things to them that, that, that he wants them to hold on to. These are some of the you know, last words before he goes up to the cross. And you see this in John chapter 13 through 17. He gives many, many things to them that were very crucial. And one of those things was John 13, 35. But that's the context of it. This is at the Last Supper. This is at a very, very important time. 
And so what he's telling them is, is extremely valuable, extremely important to Jesus. And so, and so according to Jesus, as we look at that verse, love for one another is the evidence that we are his disciples. And it's uh, very neat that that uh, ties with our mission statement. Good job, Pastor. Very, very good. Yeah. It, it, it ties in because listen to what our mission statement says. This is just not something that, 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 that is in Scripture. This is embodied in the new mission statement. It says, we live to multiply disciples who love God and who else? Each other. Learn from his word and long for his return. So, so it's not only in Scripture, but we as elders, and, and basically it was the previous elders, some of them, Bob and, and others, that, that came up. They, 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 they believe this is one of the extremely important principles, and they get it right from verses like this, where Jesus says, this is how people are going to know that you're disciples. Now, look back up at John chapter 13, 35, and look at who's evaluating it, because that's very important too. It says, by this, who? Just the people in the church? No, it says, by this, all people will know. That all includes people in the church, both believers and non-believers. And it also includes people out of the church, both believers and non-believers. God gives everyone authority to evaluate that. When people look at you and look at your life and you got your Bible in your hand or, or you're quoting verses or whatever, they can evaluate based upon your love for one another. That's what God is saying. God is saying, I'm putting everybody on notice. You want to know how people are my disciples? Look at how they love one another. Isn't that amazing? It's so different. And I say this with kind of a, a, a heart that kind of hurts from it. It's so different the way most people look at Christianity to see if somebody is a follower of Jesus Christ. Most of the time, it's by church attendance, small group attendance, Bible knowledge, the ability to quote Scripture, the ability to teach Scripture, Morality, T-shirts that says, I'm a follower of Jesus. The way we give and many other important things. I'm not saying that none of these are not important. They're so important. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said this is how you're going to know that that person is my disciple and it's by how they love other brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's, uh, that's unbelievable, isn't it? And notice some other thing. 
that, that uh, the disciples that he's talking to were going to do. And he doesn't make any mention of it. He doesn't say anything about the miracles that they would perform or the messages they would preach. That wasn't going to be the indication that they were his disciples. I believe this is a very big deal. Because if Jesus is making that kind of statement and excluding, in principle, those kind of things, it should be something that we look at very carefully. And I'm not saying that those things did not bring light that they were followers of Jesus. I'm just saying Jesus said, this is, this is how that people will know that you're my disciples. We're going to dive into that a little bit more. So, the evidence is love for one another. And the disciples had seen the love of Jesus. They had experienced the love of Jesus. Now he wanted them to follow him in the same way with that ultimate evidence as his disciples. And that ultimate evidence was love for one another. Even though all of those other things were very good and they are good and they are needed, according to Jesus, that is not the evidence. And you know Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Listen to what it says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 3. And this is a very familiar verse, you know it. You, you probably know even the, the context of it and everything else. But listen to what it says. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, in all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I, deli and if I deliver up my body to be burned but not have love, I've gained nothing. You can see the emptiness in all of those different categories, the emptiness without love. And, and the one that gets me is the, the first one, but it, it could be in the context of any of these. Amazing communication skills, the, the ability to speak um, with just amazing communication skills without love is like a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Have you ever heard anything that has just irritated your ears? Uh, Sue has one thing in particular. If I take a, uh, a like a, a, a soft drink can after I've drank it, and if I go crackle, 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 you, you can see her hair starting to stand up, very similar to the way Pastor Tony's hair stood up. I had to bring that in. It, it just irritates you. How many of you, when, when somebody goes to a chalkboard and they have some pretty significant nails and they, 
just go down. Does it, does it really get to you? I, I, I know people that, that they can't stand that. But it, it hurts the ears. And with Sue, it, I mean, she, she goes like that. But what, whose ears are being hurt? That's the deal. Whose ears are being hurt? Is it, is it the people that are, that are hearing this amazing communication, this ability to speak with, with authority, this ability to speak eloquently, this ability to, to come to the uh, right conclusions of things and just bring it out wonderfully? Is it people listening? I don't believe it is. I think God's ears are hurting. I think God is going, man, I cannot stand this. It's like a can being crinkled. And, and God cannot stand it. So, so putting it into that context, amazing communication skills hurt, without love hurts God's ears. Incredible ability to proclaim truth unbelievable knowledge and faith that can move mountains without love hurts God's ears. He says, quit taking your nails down the chalkboard. He cannot stand it. And so what Jesus says in John 13, 35 is emulated here in John 13, 1 through 3. All of these things. But let me tell you something, just so much on the flip side. Do you remember what happened in Luke, I mean, Acts chapter 2? When 3,000 or more came to know the Lord, it was amazing. Peter preached an unbelievable message. They all believed and received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then they all just dove in and wanted to hear about the Word and wanted to obey the Word. But you know, how long had they been saved? Moments. But you know what they did? If you go to uh, Acts chapter 2 and around uh, verses uh, 41 and down, you know what they did? They, they not only loved the word, they not only loved their new faith, but they loved one another. You know what they did? They sold their possessions and they distributed it to whoever, whoever needed it. And then they went from house to house, fellowshipping in the Lord. What was God's response? The Bible says that he added to the church, meaning more believers came to know the Lord because they had the example right in front of them of what Jesus said. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples by the way you love each other. So it was an incredible time. It was unbelievable. But they had... Not very much knowledge of the Bible. They knew Jesus. And they loved what Jesus did. And they wanted to replicate that. 
and they loved each other. And God did amazing things. So church, this is pretty important. The Bible teaches two things for us about loving one another. We can, we, can, we can pack this whole place out every Sunday, both services. We can have incredible music, which we do have, right? Love the music. It is so good. We, we can, Pastor Tony can get up here and just powerhouse it. But if God looks down on this church and he doesn't see love for one another, He goes, man, would you stop crinkling the can? That is how important it is. And here's the other part of the evidence. We are lacking in who we are. You remember what he said? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you love if you have love for one another. Man, if there's not evidence of that, then the Bible says to us as a church body, we're lacking. Well, I just want to tell you, I know at a minimum, there's a core group that demonstrates that. I've seen it. I rejoice over it. But can I tell you one thing? Jesus ain't looking just for the core group. Jesus is looking for everybody. He doesn't, he doesn't want just, oh, yeah, they got, a, they got a great core group there. But all the rest of the people, man, they're crinkling cans, and I can't stand it. He wants everyone giving external evidence that they are Disciples of Jesus Christ. So he makes it very clear. So when people come in here, or people see you out in the world, they'll be looking and Jesus says, here you go. And they will see one or the other. But we haven't, we haven't really tied down something. I said love for one another, right? We, we haven't tied something down. And this is, this is actually my last point. It'll take a little while, so I think I'll be right on time. We'll see. There's a last point to that, because what kind of love is that? Jesus said love one another. Well, what kind of love is that? Is it like... You're my buddy, man. Is it that kind of love? No. This is my fourth point. It says, according to Jesus, this love is sacrificial love. Oh, man. You mean to tell me it's not brotherly love? Uh Uh-uh. It's not brotherly love. It's sacrificial love. When he, when he looked at the disciples and said that, they knew exactly what he was talking about because of what he said in the previous text. He had loved them 
sacrificially, and they were going to really know that after the cross. And he was telling them, and they understood that he wanted them to love each other sacrificially. He didn't want... He didn't want them to just love from a brotherly love. The Greek word for love in John 13, 35 is agape. And it is the same Greek word used in what verses? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. They tie together. The meaning of this word is a love feast. It, is, it means sacrificial love. It is a overflowing love. It is the type of love that God showed us by sending his son to be sacrificed for us so that we could have eternal life. Jesus also used this same word this in a very extreme expression of love. In John 15, 13, he says, greater love have no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. That's, that's an extreme expression of that. And so it, it shows it very clearly. Sacrificial love is what Jesus is looking for to be the evidence that we are his disciples. Do you remember when Jesus was with Peter after the res resurrection and they just finished breakfast? You remember that little discussion about love? You remember that? It's in John 21, 15 through 17. I want, I want to illustrate something here because this is kind of our mindset sometimes. It says, in John chapter 21, verse 15 through 17, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And, and Jesus uses the word agape. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you, love you in a brotherly way. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me, sacrificially love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo, brotherly love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you Phileo, me. Wow. Jesus goes and turns it towards the way Peter is thinking. Um, John, uh, Peter wasn't thinking about John 13, 35, was he? And naturally, Simon Peter, he uses the word at the third time, phileo. Peter just would not say, I love you sacrificially. But I believe Jesus wanted that, or he wouldn't have said that. He would have said phileo, brotherly. 
You know, Jesus is not looking for us to just have brotherly love for one another. I believe that's right here. Sacrificial love is where? I believe it's up here. Yes, he wants us to have brotherly love. It's in the Bible. But he says this is how people are going to know that you are a disciple of Jesus if you sacrificially love one another. I believe it's a big deal to Jesus. And I believe sacrificial love was a big deal even in the Old Testament. There's examples of it in the Jewish life. It's a big deal in church, as we have just seen from what Jesus says about disciples. But, and, and it's a big deal in marriage, right? How do how husbands supposed to love their wives? Sacrificially, just as what? Christ did for us. You see, Jesus has raised the bar to be a disciple. The bar is not low, right? The bar is very, very high. And, 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 he's, and he makes no bones about it. And so we, we have all of these examples of of what Jesus has said. We have what, what, what Paul said that reflects primarily, I mean, basically the same thing. We have Jesus trying to get Peter, come on, do you agape me? Don't you remember what I said before? Get your mind in the right place. It, it, didn't, it didn't go go very far, at least at that one place. But we also have some unbelievable examples in the Bible that I want to give you that nails it down. Because you might be saying right now, well, you know, what does that look like? I've heard the word now over and over again. What does it look like? Well, the Bible gives us a tremendous example in 2 Corinthians and, uh, verses, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. And Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and the topic is about them you know, doing what they said they were going to do about helping the church of Jerusalem, and they hadn't done it yet. And Paul gives, gives the examples of the churches of Macedonia, of which one of them is the church of Thessalonica, which we'll talk about. But he, he gives this big, broad picture of the church of, of Macedonia and what's happening in the church of Macedonia. And I want you to see what sacrificial love really looks like. And, and, and probably one of the most profound ways to look at it. And it says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in, now listen to the words. It's very, I mean, they don't go together normally. For in severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. 
For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and listen, beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Did you hear those words that don't go together? You have them in severe affliction, extreme poverty, yet with abundance of joy, and they're giving overflowingly for the saints of Jerusalem. Is that not amazing? It is unbelievable, right? It's sacrificial love on display. These believers were in extreme poverty, but they gave anyway. This means they gave of what they really needed for themselves. That's, that's the big deal here. Sacrificial is not from the abundance. When it says sacrifice, it means it costs something. And so it cost them dearly. They were, they were afflicted. They were in extreme poverty. But they did something amazing. They gave anyway. And they didn't do it with a frown on their face or grumbling. They did it with extreme joy. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you're just barely making it? I mean, sometimes not making it at all. And then you have a brother or sister in Christ that loses their job. And, and they're, they're in desperation. They can't, they can't make their bills. They, they can't feed their family. They can't, can't take care of their house and, and anything else. Have you ever been in a place where you've had somebody in that perspective, in that kind of situation that is close to you, and yet you're just barely making it? And then you go, hey, we got we to gotta do this for them. We'll tighten our belt. We'll, we'll, make it, we'll, we'll, we'll make it through. We'll tighten our belt. We've we got to help them, and we've got to get them on the right track. Have you ever, ever been there? I'm sure some of you have. That sacrificial love. That's what these guys did. But they did it in an unbelievable way. But you know what? That's exactly what God wants us to do. He does not want us to look at our circumstances and our needs and say, man, we can't. When we get some more, when we get a little bit better, we, when we, we can do, you know, we'll do some more when we get a little bit better. That, that's not sacrifice. It, it, it may be even you, 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 you do something and it's sort of like brotherly love, but man, sacrificial love is what it says, sacrificial love. And that's what they did. But how'd they do that? They mustered this up, you know? What, is it, what does it say in verses four and five? The first part is unbelievable, but there's a reason why they were begging earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and it's in verse five is the reason all of this was happening. Where did they go 
before they started this journey at all. Look at what it says in verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to who? Somebody said, the Lord. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Do you know when you give yourself first to the Lord, be ready. Be ready, man. You just said to God, what I want you to do, you're going to do. Because look at what it says. First, they, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. That means they first said, Lord, whatever you want. And the Lord says, this is what I want. And they said, we're doing it. Simple as that. They didn't do any backpedaling. They didn't do any squirming because they surrendered to the Lord first. Man, there's no getting anywhere unless you do that. If you want to have a life of sacrifice for the Lord, of sacrificial love, you got to be on your knees and praying because your greatest enemy is yourself and Satan helps. But you've got to surrender yourself and be in that position so that Christ can do something tremendously. So do you think that they provided the evidence? Do you agree that those, those churches were disciples of Jesus Christ? Can we say amen to that? Amen to that. So we get that example, and then the Apostle Paul expounds on it in 1 Thessalonians chapters 1 through uh, 6 through 8, and he expounds on it here, and it shows. What this shows in verse 1, chapter 1, 6 through 8, what it shows is how it gets from inside the church out. Listen to what it says in verse 6. It says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Does that sound like disciples? It does. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, the church of Thessalonica is one of the churches of Macedonia, by the way. Uh, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Acadia. What does that say? Boom, it went out the doors. It wasn't just within the walls of the church body. It went out into the regions. And it says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Acadia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Paul probably would come up to people and say, you know, I'd like to tell you about the church. At the no, no, you don't have to tell us, man. They're, they're, these people are amazing. Everybody hears about what they're doing. Their strong faith for each other, their love for one another. They're amazing what, what's happened. So it goes out the door when it's amazing. And what is amazing is an abundance of sacrificial love. That is amazing. I mean, when 
when something like, and you probably saw this on the news, the Asbury Revival can get on all the news, and it was basically college students saying, hey, we're not going to leave. We're going we're gonna to pray. We're going to sing songs. We're going to worship, and we're not going to leave for several days. Boom. It was an amazing thing to some people, and boom, it's on TV. It's in the news because they did something significant in, in, in many people's eyes. What would it look like if a complete congregation had external evidence of sacrificial love? You think that'd get out the door? You think anybody would hear about that? I believe so. I believe it would be amazing. And God knows it'll be amazing. So you, you see that Jesus, he says, love one another sacrificially. And we see examples where when that occurred, people heard about it. And we see from Acts chapter 2, more people came to know the Lord. I believe the teaching in this church is phenomenal. And, and God is using that teaching. God's using the verse by verse. Hey, by the way, we, we had just one verse tonight. So it's verse by. Verse by fellowship. But we can't just have a core group sacrificially loving. It's got to be the entire body. And then God's going to do amazing things. Because if you have an entire body loving sacrificially, he has already done some amazing things, right? All the flesh is gone. People are saying, I'm going to to surrender myself to the Lord, and then the Lord says, well, this is my will. Boom! Just like the churches of Macedonia. I want to close with just an example of mine that uh, Sue and I experienced. Uh, Sue and I, uh, we decided uh, by God's will that we were going to move to a small town in eastern Oregon and uh, help a pastor do a church plant. My uh, family thought we were out of our minds, and we were, in a good way, right? And we, we went there, and I didn't have a job, and Sue and I, we lived with two other families out in the country, and there was one person that had a job, and that family shared everything. And my wife and the other ladies would go out into the, the uh, potato fields after harvest and cold potatoes. Let me tell you, a potato from a, out on the farm is unbelievable. They taste so different than the potato you get into the store. When I had my first potato, I thought, are we in heaven? It was unbelievable. And they made bread every day. 
and we ate simple, but that family, especially uh, the parent Doug and Peggy, loved us sacrificially. And let me tell you, living with them out in the country, as God was using all of us to do a church plant, was one of the most significant times in, in Sue in my life. And that couple is still a tremendous blessing to us. And the church saw it. And the church came on fire. And people outside of the church saw what God was doing. And it was because a few people decided to love sacrificially. And from that, Sue and I said, that's the kind of people we're going to be. We don't do it perfectly. I'm not saying that. But from that moment that we learned what sacrificial love looked like, we instituted that in our lives in many, many ways. And let me tell you, it has been a blessing. It's been getting so closer to the Lord and it's created relationships that are still going on today. So, here's the bottom line. Do you want to be a people that when somebody comes into this church or hears about this church, do you want to be a people that say, man, those are disciples of Jesus. Do you want to be that kind of people? So do I. Well, let's love each other in a sacrificial way. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you for all that you've done in this church body. I thank you for the people online and the people here, Lord. And I thank you, Lord God, of the spirit that's in this room, the hearts of people. And and as I pray, as I preach, Lord God, just looking out in the, in the crowd here of, of people, just, I, I can see, I can see you at work. I can see you working what is in your word into their hearts. And Lord, I just pray that you would manifest that in a tremendous way. Lord God, that you would be glorified and magnified and that the, this church would sound out beyond the walls. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.